Welcome to 100 Ways, your simple reminder that you are home wherever you are and that everything is right the way it is right now. I'm your host, Laura Christine, fellow explorer of consciousness and this amazing, beautiful world. Let's get curious, dive into the duh, and find out what's here for us today. Welcome to 100 Ways. This is your daily exploration of self and soul. I'm your host and fellow explorer, Laura Christine. Let's dive in and find our way home. As I was editing this episode, I felt like I was actually getting a spiritual transmission. And I recommend that when you listen, balance the energetics of what's being said with the words so the story can be received with the mind and with the soul, with the body, with the the energy, the energetics of it. And let it take you further into yourself and into whatever home is for you. I think in Dharamsala the first time in McLeod Ganj, the first time that I was meditating on a bench somewhere and I said to myself, I said, hmm, maybe I actually am looking for a teacher. Because I'd had an experience with this master in Dharamsala that this British woman that I had been hanging out with brought me to, and he seemed like the real deal. He embodied this energy, and he created a space of learning, and he was able to answer subtle and beautiful questions with resplendent subtlety and beauty. And I was just like, wow, this guy is legit, and I love him. (laughs) but I've got to go rent this motorcycle. (laughs) So that experience of sort of saying, all right, well, maybe I am looking for a teacher. It was a very shaky and subtle or gentle place to be or uncertain place to be because, you know, if you just realize that you're searching for something, then you don't really know how you're going to search. And in this case, I sort of felt very, um, I think I've always had this relationship to teachers. Like in school, I always got these evaluations like, you know, Ethan is a little bit difficult <laughs> because I'd loudly proclaim that the science teacher had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> you know, it's just looking back, it's like, oh God, like this is the worst. Give these people a break. Um, it's like, ah, but have you re-verified, you know, this yourself? Do you even know what you're talking about? But I've also kind of had that energy a little bit. So I sat myself right in front of the Rinpoche and he sort of walked in with a long trail of fabric behind him like this giant sort of like dress he was wearing normal clothing but it felt like that so I was sitting in front of the Rinpoche directly in front and with perfect posture unblinkingly kind of gazing at him hoping that he would look at me at some point because everybody was looking at him I mean where do you look when there's somebody giving a talk you look at them I think the answer is that you sometimes look away (laughs) you know but no (laughs) I was trying to sort of open myself as much as I could within my ability to understanding the nature of what was going on what kind of teaching was taking place and also bring whatever intensity I could to bear sort of like a form of readiness but also a kind of aggression of saying so here you have this marble palace on a hill are you sure why? Why do you have, why are you here? And so the nature of my listening took two forms. 
One was listening to the words that he was saying, and then the other was trying to encounter the teaching on this very severe level, very tight and intense level. And he sat down, and thus began Rinpoche's teaching. I have tried to remember the content of this teaching in preparation for this recounting of it, and I'm afraid that I don't have a good grasp of the content, because in a way I was unable to listen to the content, and I'll kind of describe why that was. But the general approach that this Rinpoche has to spreading Buddhism to the West, which is a large part of their practice, and a large part of a lot of practices, which is sort of a tautology, like a lot of people who are teaching Buddhism in the West are really involved in teaching to Western people. That's part of the global growth of Buddhism. Like there's a lot of limitations in Buddhism for Western audiences. It's very imbued in the culture. As much as it seeks to be pure insight, it's also relying on metaphors and relying on colloquialisms and relying on mentalities and sentiments that Western people just don't understand. And so a lot of the popularization of Buddhism by early figures has been kind of encountering the Western sentimentality and encountering such things as like respect for authority, which is sort of goes without saying in Buddhist communities, but in the U.S., we treat our politicians like punching bags and, you know, and we're sort of constantly saying all these terrible things about each other. We even say the, all these terrible things about people that we love. And we're very enmeshed in this idea of individualism. There's this big difference among Western and Eastern Buddhist practices and culture on how we approach the nature of ourselves and what we're trying to do and what the pathway looks like. What I started to find was that I was really irritated by the way that he was talking about the West because it just felt like a limitation there was something getting between me and actually what he had to say. Because he had this way, in my experience, of identifying a sort of a common problem that we all experience and then saying, ah, oh, but that's nothing. And I'm struggling to really articulate why it was that this was so difficult for me. Because I think that there was an, another aspect which I can explain more energetically. And he was talking about in this very sort of chatty and likable way about his experience of overcoming limitations in his own time and sort of being. And it turns out that he has this really miserable fear of flying. He just hates it. And he, and he can't sleep the night before he thinks about going and flying anywhere. And so he said, he finally realized that this was actually a very useful thing because he said, even I, even I sometimes have this difficulty which is that I will become tired when I'm meditating. Now what I do is I think about the next flight that I have to take, and I become so afraid and so <laughs> intent on this that I'm completely unable to sleep. And then I can transition from this back into meditation. And this was a really sort of fascinating thing because it, it sort of felt like I was thinking to myself, is he just making this up? If he was really a meditation master, he wouldn't be having difficulty with falling asleep. And uh, maybe he's just trying to... <laughs> There's this sort of energy which is like maybe he's just trying to, you know, trick us. But I think ultimately what was happening was that there were two different things going on for me. One was listening to this speech and feeling 
that there was this tremendous amount of insight and feeling just as enamored with it as I had with all other insightful Buddhistic teachings, meditative teachings, and this sort of feeling of, wow, maybe it's just this simple. Maybe I'm asking too much. Maybe I'm sort of expecting that I can jump into the lake of infinite compassion and then I'll get out and I'll still be wet and for I'll be wet forever, you know, with infinite compassion. There's this sort of easy path. Maybe it really involves a form of deliberation and preparation that I have yet not embodied. And on the other hand, I was growing increasingly agitated and uncomfortable because there was a vision or an energy that was pulsating or reverberating in the room that was increasingly becoming uncomfortable for me. And I, at one point I remember looking around and I thought, is this, like, what is, what is everybody else doing? And they were all just fucking hanging out. They were, like, listening to the teaching. They looked very peaceful. And, and I was sort of increasingly becoming angry and scared and keyed up and heightened and there was this feeling of this sort of emerging thrumming sort of energy like this sort of overwhelming power in the room and once i realized that it was that i realized it was coming from the rinpoche coming from this teaching coming from perhaps him and perhaps just only going to me and yet he was still holding space for all these other people. And so it was so easy for him to produce such an overwhelming, thrumming sensation for me. And this was also combined with this concern that was growing in my mind that not all pathways lead home. What if that's possible? What if there are some doors which should not be opened? which would be a grave mistake to open. Whether or not you were aware that the door handle had a little sign on it that said, grave mistake, <laughs> do not enter here. When you start to play with power, and especially if it comes upon you suddenly, you encounter a moment when the power is too much and you destroy yourself. And this is kind of full of fable and full of history. And... You know, when I say maybe not all pathways lead home, it's sort of a provisional statement because there are great pools of suffering, but those pools are on the landscape of infinite beauty. But you can sort of get lost in these eddies for very long periods of time. Ghosts and sort of lost souls and people trapped in hatred and resentment are lost and can't find home in small ways and in large ways, and in ways that would appear to be a local infinity. Like if you were running at a thousand miles an hour and you had to take, say, left, right, left, right, left, right, 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 left, left, right, 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 and, oh, fuck, I just took a right and I should have taken a left. And you're falling forever, and you're sort of in this endless chasm of death and destruction and suffering and everything around you just seems like a pale reflection of what it had been once and Dante's Inferno sort of comes to mind you know and you're sort of and you lose the sort of belief in your own inherent goodness and you sort of lose your own ability to choose between things and this is one embodiment of a door that should not be opened but the particular door that it felt like 
should not be opened was acceptance of this Rinpoche. Because I thought, how dare you? You're not the right person. <laughs> you're dangerous. You're violent. Not only are you violent, you're glib and you're sarcastic. And there's a fine line. And in the throes of this intense thrumming of my own creation and perhaps some reverberation of intensity <laughs> coming from the Rinpoche, it's sort of when you're balancing a rock and it's slightly leaning in one direction and the subtlest wind blows it, it falls in that direction. And do you say, the wind pushed the rock there? No, the rock was sort of going there anyway and the wind just sort of came up. And so all I will say that was coming from the Rinpoche was intensity. But my experience of it became increasingly more overwhelming to the point of intense pain and uncomfort. And um, having taken hallucinogens and experienced this kind of like, oh shit moment, you know, where it's like, oh, it's kicking in pretty hard here, man. <laughs> you know, it's the Google, Google, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, you know, I better wrangle this shit back in or we're going to be lost forever, you know, and sort of like Hunter S. Thompson boarding a plane the first time he ever took mescaline. It's like, we're wandering around the Kentucky Derby, you know, this sort of like, oh my goodness, you know, we're in very strange and uncertain lands. <laughs> and this sort of experience of um, intensity interacting with my own self in this way, the sort of intellectual, cognitive, or sentimental result of it was I begin to actively fight this energy and said, I will not be overwhelmed because whether or not it's true, I'm concerned that if I was to give in to this energy, it would be a serious detriment to myself and my practice and to finding my pathway again. So I began to fight it directly and it overwhelmed me. And if I say that, maybe you don't understand because overwhelm is something that nobody really ever understands in other people. You know, like with trauma, it's like you can't explain that. And you can only learn to hold space and sort of do things which enable gentleness and sort of like dew on the moss in the morning in a, in a forest and hope that someone can wake up and feel safe and comfortable and learn to like recite their own beauties again and sort of move like in their own dance again. But I felt like my teeth and my mouth were expanding beyond the size of my head and like my body was sort of contorting and there was this intensity. Like if you had to pee, but it was your brain that had to you know, do some other important function and it was running out of space to do that. And this experience of running out of space and running out of time. And I had no choice but to get up and leave during the middle of this teaching. And I got up and I didn't want to look over at my friend because this was, you don't really typically do that. You kind of take care of your needs and you ready yourself to sort of, you know, lap up this like sacred milk. That sounds a little weird. Like listen to this awesome show, you know, just like hang out with your dudes and like collect honey like a bee. If you're really like into this kind of thing, this is really special and really sacred. It's like missing your son's first birthday or something, you know. I mean, obviously, not quite 
that's very different and I think it'd be way more significant. <laughs> but like it's sort of on that. I mean, missing your son's 18th birthday or 19th birthday or something like that. You know, it's like you really don't want to miss that. And so I'm like leaving and I'm like admitting defeat with my little tail between my legs and the Rinpoche is like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> like, get out of here. You didn't have, you know, what it took anyway. You know, obviously he's not thinking that. And so I, oh man, I just spiraled out of there like a little dry leaf falling off a tree and kind of settled down on the balcony overlooking Kathmandu. And uh, I was just like, whew, just throw that off, like shuffle it off, man. Shake it off like a duck shakes off water. One time I saw a duck get run over and I was like, oh my God, that duck is dead. And then I looked back and the duck actually emerged from the other side of the car and it went, and I just shook its feathers and then was completely fine afterward. And so I was shaking my feathers out there on the balcony and just kind of trying to just, you know, and the clouds were high over Kathmandu and the city was bustling and it's sort of ever giving energy and, and it's sort of complexity. And, and I felt silly, but I also felt relieved and I lay down. So I was also very, very tired. I was just exhausted. I was so tired. And I had the thought as I was lying down on the stone balcony just in the corner, oh, this is really pretty pathetic, isn't it, Ethan? <laughs> you know, not only did he run you right out of the <laughs> the chamber, but now you're tired and sleeping like a little baby. You know? <laughs> and that's going to set it right in. Like, if you had a chance to, like, meditate out here, do something. I don't know, man. <laughs> just get your shit together, you know. Go something. But instead, I just, all I could do was take a nap. And it was a very nice nap. And I woke up and one of the nuns was shaking me because she said, the talk is about to continue. And they had had a lunch break, I guess, or something. So I went back in and sat through the rest of it. It was just fine. And I never really talked with my friend that had brought me there about any of this. And it kind of has lingered with me for a long time. And I think back on it and I think... There was a real lesson there in many different ways, and one that has taught me a lot about kind of my own limitations and my own challenges, and also reminded me to, you know, the beauty of paying attention to my own subtle inclinations and kind of my own intuition, and to be gentle with myself and to not stare the Rinpoche in the eye and bring my sword to the to the book fight <laughs> bring my gun to the pillow fight <laughs> and uh and so that's my story about that i have to be honest and say i'm not sure how to end this i don't think i want it to end but all things do i am sure in fact i know we are not done hearing from Ethan, but we'll have to find the context for the next episodes with him out as they come. It was a really great pleasure for me to hold space for someone to share a story like this, and I'd love to do it again. So if you have a story of either exploring the outer world and finding, discovering things there about the world and about yourself and about reality, or if you have an experience of awakening from within that you'd like to share, 
connect with me. Let's find out if it's a good fit for the show and create it. Or maybe you want your own show, revealing your own mysteries and discoveries and awakenings and follies and joys and pleasures and challenges and all of the things that come with waking up to our true selves and finding our way home. Huge gratitude to Ethan for not only taking this trip, but also for sharing it with us. I know there are parts that he wishes had come through differently. I know there are parts that you may have wanted to add. But when you're sitting in the moment telling your story, there has to be a level of trust or faith that what is coming through is exactly meant to be what is coming through. And I do believe that. I also very much believe in do-overs or redos. As a recording artist, (laughs) they're my favorite thing. So who knows? Maybe we'll hear more about India and Nepal from Ethan, or maybe this was exactly what it was meant to be. In any case, and in all cases, and in all ways, we are sending all the love and then some more. We'll talk tomorrow. Thank you for exploring with me today. I would love to continue this conversation with you. We can do that at laurachristine.us. You'll find contact in the menu, or you can go to laurachristine.us slash contact, and you'll be taken right to it. Let's dive in a little deeper and see how fully we can flow with the duh. Thank you for being here. I would love to hear from you. Go to laurachristine.us to let me know your thoughts on this. And remember, as Rumi said, there are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. Also, you can't fuck it up. I said that. (laughs) 